The Tennis Gambling Podcast on the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by PrizePix. Go to prizepix.com slash SGPN and use code SGPN for a first deposit match up to $100. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Plus, the MMA Gambling Podcast just launched their YouTube channel. To celebrate, we're giving away an MMA Gambling Podcast hoodie. Head over to sportscampodcast.com slash MMA hoodie for all of the details. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast. Now, it is currently late Tuesday night. October 31st, and I'm your host as always, Scott Reichel, once again going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode because it is time to start previewing individual rounds in the Paris Masters. It is round of 32 time, so a reminder, or if you are new to the show, for these Masters 1000 events, we have an episode for each round. So I am going to preview some, not all, of the matches. Eventually, we're going to do the entire round once you get into these rounds with about eight matches in it or four matches but for the sake of the round of 32 we're going to go through some of the matches that caught my eye talk about my leans and my picks then we'll save my favorite picks for the end of the show in the lock and dog segment but speaking of the lock and dog segment have to recap our picks from the last episode overall decent ended up winning the lock lost the dog for the lock nice and easy winner we had Kashanov in straight sets against Purcell match went the way that I thought it would I thought it would be a 6-4 6-3 final it was a 6-4 6-4 final Purcell simply put not good I feel like I've mentioned it before he had one really good month during the summer but he's a challenger level singles player who's kind of in over his skis he is a good doubles player so, uh, once again, he's going to have a place in the ATP winning doubles events. But for singles, he's a challenger-level player, and Kashanov is a very solid player, especially in Masters 1000 events. He even won this particular event a couple years ago. We saw him win in straight sets against Purcell. He actually also won in straight sets against Dejir the day after. But the point is, it was just a talent mismatch, and Kashanov got it done. As for the dog, though, we went for a repeat script in the Giron and Uber match. We saw them have a three-set war about a week ago. That did not happen again, as we had the over two and a half sets of plus 130. Didn't work out as Giron did not break in the entire match, and Umber ended up winning in front of his home fans in straight sets. The funny part of that match, you had a bunch of Frenchmen in this event, because, of course, you have the home court advantage. And the problem with that is that every Frenchman lost besides Umber. He was the only French guy to make it into the round of 32, which tells you how embarrassing the current state is of French tennis. I know Monfi just won a title on the ATP level. I know Phil's is supposed to be really good in the future. But damn, man, one guy? You had one guy make it into the second round? That's kind of embarrassing, and I wanted to bring it up because Umber ended up burning us, but he's been very sharp lately, and he's having, I don't want to say a career year, but he's definitely having a career two months. He's been really good. And Giron had no answers, so nice win for him there. But I do want to segue into one other thing before we get into the actual recap of the round of 64, and we'll get into the actual uh, preview for some round of 32 matches. Want to talk about the women's final happening in Cancun, mostly involving Swiatek's comments after beating Vendrozva. So to go through the overall scenario... Swiatek, of course, is an elite player, my opinion, best player in the world. Either way, they're having the WTA finals at the moment, and she made some comments after winning. She said, quote, there are Polish, pe- Polish people are everywhere. I think half the stadium is Polish. I'm happy they're here. I hope next matches we can make the stadium full. Guys, please come watch our game. We're giving 100%. 
hopefully you'll enjoy it. Now, this is going to tie back into a common theme I've been mentioning in the last couple of episodes, WTA bankruptcy and Sharapova's comments, because I got to bring it up. It's the women's final, last event of the year. It's the ATP NITO finals of the women's side, and the stadiums are half empty. And yes, you could argue that it's because WTA butchered the overall preparation of the event in Cancun. You're not wrong. They did a terrible job preparing for the actual event for organizational purposes. However, I got to at least bring it up because once again, it's been a big talking point since the U.S. Open, who is bragging about 50 years of equal pay, all this stuff. We got to talk about the fact that once again, a lot of people like men's tennis and they genuinely don't care about women's tennis. And I understand that the U.S. Open spectacle was a lot of fun seeing Coco Goff win her first Grand Slam title. A lot of American tennis fans were tuning in to watch Coco Goff win. But post-U.S. Open, most people do not care about women's tennis. It is what it is. I'm being honest. Now, if you gamble on it, you do care. If you don't gamble on it, you're probably not waking up at 5 in the morning to watch tennis in China one way or another. But the point is, I wanted to mention it because Swiatek is right. It is sad that the stadium is half empty for one of the biggest events of the year with the best players in the world. A reminder, the ATP Finals is the top eight, top ten women in the world playing against each other in a tournament, and it appears that nobody cares. So I wanted to bring it up because it's going to segue back into Sharapova's comments and into the WTA rumors about bankruptcy. It's a really bad look when there's rumors of you asking for a merger with the ATP the chairman denying it, and then nobody's showing up at the stadiums for one of the biggest events remaining in the calendar year. It's sad. And I feel like a lot of people can believe where there's smoke, there's fire. And when you have nobody in attendance, you have to wonder, how is the WTA actually making money? And I don't think they are, to be honest with you. Now, I don't know if it's as dire as we've heard before about how it's immediately going to undergo bankruptcy, or if it's a rumored thing like we heard from the, I think it was the Kazakhstan uh, Federation of Tennis, where one of the heads there said they're a couple years away from bankruptcy, but it's happening. I believe it. I feel like there's a lot of signs that definitely point to potential bankruptcy, mostly one of the biggest events of the year, having no fans in attendance. And the only fans that were in attendance, basically, were Swiatek's home country fans who made the trip to Mexico. But nobody cares about women's tennis. It is what it is. Now, you can disagree, and you can tell me, well, I watch women's tennis all the time. It's great. You're right. It's a fun product to follow. But that doesn't change the fact that you are in the minority. Most people care about men's tennis. They want to watch Djokovic. They want to watch Alcaraz. I know he lost as a fool, and I'll get into that in a second. But they have star power. Women's tennis really doesn't. Swiatek, really good player. Does anybody know anything about her? Not really. And I feel like when you're looking at the rest of the women's tour, Sabalenka won a title. Do people know a lot about her? Not really. Do they want to? Not really. I feel like maybe you can make the argument that that is subject to change in the future. But as of right now, the men's tour has more firepower and people think it's a more entertaining product. So I'm not trying to sound misogynistic or sexist, but in reality, men's tennis is profitable right now. Women's tennis appears to not be the case, and that is why there are rumors of bankruptcy and mergers, and that's why I believe it. I think that a lot of the rumors are correct, and I think WTA screwed. Now, is it screwed immediately? No. I think it's going to try to hold out, and I understand why the chairman doesn't want to admit they're financially screwed, but it's simple. It's just simple economics for me. 
if you have a fan base that likes tennis a lot and they're watching men's tennis and the same fan base is not sharing the same love for women's tennis, then at some point you're going to be in serious danger of losing a lot of money. And we've seen it with uh, even basketball, with the NBA and the WNBA. I mentioned this comparison before, but I kind of have to. NBA, tons of basketball fans. How many of them follow the Women's Basketball League? Not many. I'll tell you that much. It's probably a single-digit percent of NBA fans, if I had to guess. Now, the WNBA attendance has gone up over the last couple of years, so perhaps we've seen a slight shift in the overall, I'd say, opinion on WNBA basketball, and that's why maybe they can become profitable. WNBA has been around for like 20 years. I'm not sure if it's ever been profitable, but still. The point is they are making some strides to becoming sustainable and to becoming profitable every year. WTA is kind of in the same boat. I feel like a lot of people, once again, liked women's tennis growing up because you had some star power. You had the Williams sisters. You had Sharapova. You had, if you even want to go back to Justine Ennin, Kleisters, you had a lot of star power. And I feel like some of it has to do with American tennis and how even though there are good American women's tennis players, most American fans are casuals, and it's a big market. And I think that when you're looking at how a lot of the countries consume tennis in general, they tend to only care about Grand Slams. They don't care about the other events. And it does seem like there's a massive drop-off between women's tennis fans in Grand Slam events compared to non-Grand Slam events. And that's why we have half-empty stadiums for one of the biggest events of the year that is not a Grand Slam. And I wanted to mention it. I'm not going to keep mentioning this over and over again because it is a common theme that I've been mentioning for the last couple of shows. But I got to bring it up because it's the final women's event of the year and nobody's there in attendance to actually watch it. So I have to wonder how this is actually making any money. I got to bring it up. But anyway, keep that in mind. If you do like women's tennis, then that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I hope you enjoy watching women's tennis. But I'm going to point out, though, that people like Sharapova are complaining that women need to get paid more the same amount as men all the time. And in reality, more people care about men's tennis than women's. More people go to men's matches than women's. And that's why men get paid more. Simply put, if you had a solid fan base, the same fan base as men's tennis, then you would be getting paid more on a regular basis. But you don't. So it's all relative. And I feel like that's important to mention. And the only reason why the men and women are getting paid the same in the U.S. Open is because they group the coverage together. So they switch between men's and women's. And that's really why. And I do feel like if they would separate for in theory, if there was separate TV coverage for men's tennis in the U.S. Open to women's tennis in the U.S. Open, the men's the men's actual viewership would blow the women's tennis out of the water. I don't think it would be close. So I wanted to mention it once again. If you if you like women's tennis, no problem with that. Enjoy watching women's tennis. But for all the people that are lobbying for equal pay and claim it's not right, you should be watching the actual events too. And a lot of them, I feel like, are doing lip service and they're not actually helping out with the cause. I'm calling them out. If you think that they should get paid more, make sure you and your friends are actually watching the events because it's a lot of empty words that don't actually change the economics of the situation. Anyway, moving on to the round of 64 here. Uh, the round of 64 recap of Paris. Overall, not many upsets. There was one late scratch, though. Fritz was injured, and he's officially out for the rest of the year. Makes sense when you're watching him play for the last couple of weeks. Something felt off, and Fritz ended up taking a hike. So he's done. He will not be there in Turin either. So he's completely done for the year. Beat Baez 6-1, 6-4. So it was actually after an easy win. Then he ended up 
uh, leaving the event, and Altmaier got a walkover. But for the actual round of 64, for upsets, you had uh, really not much. Fakina beat Shelton, which I guess counts as an upset, but that's a pretty competitive match. And I mentioned how many I mentioned several times on the show that Fakina has top 10 upside. He's just a mentally fragile player, and it appears that he was definitely mentally tough for the first round. Uh, you had a fun war between Warenka and Team. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Altmaier beat Phils, so the home country guy lost there. Uh, not really much else going on. You had Murray blowing the same exact lead against Dimenauer in the span of a, of a month. So, two times in the last month, he was up 5-2 double break in the third set against Dimenauer. And he choked it. And you know, I don't like Andy Murray, but it's hilarious. I thought it was very funny, especially with the deja vu to a T. Losing that lead to the exact same guy in the span of a month, twice, is just so funny to me. So, nice one with Dimenauer. And, of course, as a Andy Murray hater, I am thrilled that he lost in the event. Uh, besides that, you had the Gasquet winning the first set via Bagel and then blowing a couple of match points in the third set in route to a loss to Tommy Paul. Um, besides that, what else is there? Uh, I don't really see much uh, that really shocked me besides one particular match. First of all, you had Corda, who ended up beating, who ended up losing her catch in three. Not surprising, thought it'd be a war, but her catch we saw beat Corda in a uh, semifinal of a Masters 1000 event about a week or two ago, and it was kind of the same result there as her catch one and three. Then we finally get into the shocking upset, which was the likes of. Alcaraz losing to Safulan. Now, Safulan's my boy. I've been praising him for the last couple of weeks on the show, and he came through. Now, I am kind of happy with myself because as I went through the outrights for this event, I was initially going to take Alcaraz to win the event, and then I thought about it and realized, you know what? It's not worth it with the injuries that he's had recently, the lack of overall uh, just play on courts, and with the fact that his price was relatively cheap with Medvedev and with Djokovic, in my opinion, having better, uh, more attractive prices. So I ended up staying away. I talked myself out of Alcaraz, and he lost immediately. So I feel great. Now, that some of that's going to be the round of 32, by the way. That was technically a round of 32 match. So we have a couple of matches that already took place in the round of 32. Most of the matches were not. So I do acknowledge, once again, that actually happening. But we are going to go through only the round of 32 that we have. And I also want to mention for round of 32 upsets, you had Greek Spore burying Fakina in the second round, which is what I just said about Fakina. He'll show up and look great for one match against Shelton. Then he'll no-show the next match, and he's out immediately. So that's really the perfect uh, summary of the Fakina experience. And I wanted to at least mention that too. But the main shock of the first round was Alcaraz losing his first match Technically, the second round, you get my point. But I'd say the main shock of the first couple days of the event was Alcaraz losing to Safulan in straight sets. And besides that, everything else was kind of expected besides Fritz's withdrawal. Anyway, moving into the actual match previews for the Wednesday slate, we're going to start off with the Dimitrov and Medvedev match, which should be pretty fun. Also, seems like a bit of deja vu because they just faced off against each other in Vienna, which Medvedev did win in three sets. As for the actual money line and spread, Medvedev minus three and a half games is minus 115. Dimitrov plus three and a half is minus 105. As for the money line, minus 280 and plus 235. Uh, you're looking at the over-under. It is at 22 games. Over is minus 112. Under is minus 108. Even though I think Medvedev's going to win because he's on the head-to-head, -head, I have to like the over. 
We just saw them go three sets. Dimitrov's been in good form, and we saw Medvedev make a decent run in Vienna as he lost in the final to Sinner. Did he look good? Kinda. He dropped a decent amount of sets, though, so I do think that Dimitrov can make this match very competitive. I'm going to go with Dimitrov plus the games, and I am going to go with the over. 22 just seems too low to me. I think that, once again, you're looking at what should be a fun match. I'm picking Medvedev to win, and I do think that over two and a half sets at plus 170 is a phenomenal price. I think 170 is a bargain for what we just saw about a week ago. But I think that you're going to see a longer match. Give me the over 22 games as my main lean there. Uh, moving on to, once again, I'm going to go at random based on what matches caught my eye. You have Tommy Paul taking on DeZanchulp. And for this match, Paul is a favorite of about minus 125. You have uh, DeZanchulp at around plus 105. As for the games, minus one and a half is for Paul at minus 110. DeZanchulp is plus one and a half at minus 110. Over-under is at 23. The match to go to three sets is plus 110. And if you want to get Tommy Paul to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 170. Now, initially, when the lines came out for this match, I saw BetMGM actually had two and a half as the game spread. And I think the Zanchop was around plus 140 on the money line. And I knew immediately that price was way off. So I recognized that the lines definitely moved, in, in my opinion, in the right direction. Because I think that Tommy Paul should be a favorite, but it should be around this number. And DeZanchel being two and a half games at like minus 110 was a very good price. Now, at one and a half, it's more interesting. They have faced off one time before, and you saw DeZanchel actually win. To go through the recap of that match that ended up taking place in the Davis Cup earlier this year, and DeZanchel won in straight sets kind of recently. In fact, about a month and a half ago. So, DeZanchel, I know, can handle Tommy Paul. Paul got pushed to the brink against Gasquet. And you saw DeZanchel kind of handle Manorino pretty easily. I think for this one, I am going to link to DeZanchel. I think that there's some value at plus 105. Of course, it was a lot better at plus 140. But I do think plus 105 still makes sense. I think that Tommy Paul is vulnerable. And I do think that DeZanchel has the firepower to push Paul around the court. And Paul is still not a great server. Give me DeZanchel to get the job done at plus 105. I am going to link to the over. But 110 on the over 2.5 sets is not worth it. I'd rather take the games at 23 or maybe 22 and a half somewhere. So I'm going to lean to the over, but I will lean to DeZanchulp at plus money in what I think should be a coin flip match. Now for the next one, you have Hercatch taking on Batista Agut. Now, Batista Agut had a very nice performance in the first round as he buried Laheshka. But to go through the actual uh, preview for the spread and the money line, Hercatch minus three games is plus 105. Batista Agut plus three is minus 125. As for the money line, her catch is minus 210, and you have Batista Gut at plus 180. Over-under is around 23 and a half games, and if you want to go for the actual sets, you can get over two and a half sets at plus 150. Her catch to win in straight sets is plus 110. So they faced off four times in their careers, and Batista Gut's actually four and one. Now, they faced off earlier this year in Rotterdam, and her catch did win in three. Faced off in the ATP Cup, that also won three. Batista Good won that one in a final set tiebreak, faced off in 2020 and 2019. Batista Good won both of those. Now, I know Batista Good's past his prime. He's a type of player that would ver that would just frustrate Hercatch because he keeps the ball in play all the time. And Hercatch is a very impatient rallier. Hercatch's serve, though, is so good. And I wonder if Batista Good's actually going to be able to break him in this match unless uh, Hercatch's first serve percentage completely abandons him. I think there might be some value on potentially her catch to win in straight sets at plus 110. I don't mind the over, 
I think that you can make an argument for maybe a 7-6-7-6 final. It wouldn't shock me. Maybe there's a prop bet on that. You could probably get a decent price on. But I do think that Hercatch has the game to really frustrate Batista Agut because he can neutralize the patience and consistency of Agut's game if Hercatch is just bombing first serves wherever he wants. So I do think for the value, I don't mind Hercatch in straight sets at plus 110. And I do think that even though Batista Agut was able to beat Laheshka, you know my thoughts on Laheshka. I think he's a good player who's young, but I don't think he has any mental toughness at all. And it just seemed like Laheshka wasn't ready for the actual matchup. And I do think that Batista Agut is a very tough matchup for Laheshka, who does get impatient at times as well, but he does not have as good of a serve as Hercatch to bail him out. You might get a breaker or two, so this might be a bit of a sweat, but I do think if you want to look for total games, I don't mind the Hercatch player prop on games. I think you're going to see at least one breaker, maybe two, but I think he wins the match. Give me a Hercatch team total over in this matchup. For the next one, you have a fun matchup between Sitsipas and Felix. For this one, Sitsipas is a slight favorite of around minus one. 37, give or take. Let me just quickly shop around to see if there's anything else. I found 125, so I'll use that as a line. Sitsipas minus 125. Felix is plus 105 for the actual game spread. Sitsipas minus a half is minus 120. Felix plus a half is even money. Over under 23 and a half games is minus 110 on both sides. Match to go three sets is plus 125. Sitsipas to win in straight sets is plus 190. Her, uh, you have uh, Felix to win in straight sets at plus 250. So for the actual head-to-head between these players, they have faced off a decent amount. In fact, about eight times. And Sitsipas has gotten the better of most of those meetings as he has won five of the eight. Now to go through the actual history in terms of recency, because you got to at least mention when they played, because it's going to factor in. So to go through the meetings between these players, I said they played eight times. They faced off last year in Rotterdam in the final, actually. Felix buried him, one in straight sets. They faced off three times in 2021. Sitsipas did win all three meetings. Faced off in 2020. Sitsipas won. Faced off in 2019. Sitsipas won as well. So Sitsipas has won five of the last six meetings, but Felix did win the last meeting last year in Rotterdam in the final. So I think Felix is alive to win this one. I think the price is pretty low, though, on Sitsipas. I kind of like the price there. Now, Felix did a good job in the first round of beating Struff, which was a competitive match, but Felix eventually won in straight sets, 7-6-6-4. Sitsipas did have a bye. I liked how he played in Vienna, though. I thought he looked pretty good, and I do think that Felix, after winning the event in Basel and then playing immediately in the first round with no bye attached to it, I have some stamina concerns, and I do think that Sitsipas is a cheap price here which is, I think, a bit too cheap. I think he should be closer to minus 140, minus 150. But for me, I am going to go with Sitsipas at this low price. If Felix wins, would I be shocked? No. You know my thoughts on Sitsipas. But it's a low number against a guy that might be fatigued. I'll go Sitsipas money line at minus 125. And looking at the rest of the actual card, I think I'm just going to stick with one more match before we wrap it up. I'm going to go with the Umber and Zverev match. And looking at this actual price, Zverev is obviously the favorite at about minus 205. You have Umber at minus at a plus 175. You have Zverev minus two and a half games at minus 120. You have Umber plus two and a half games at even money. And the over-under in games is 22 and a half. Over is minus 115. Under is minus 105. And the match to go three sets is plus 135. Zverev to win in straight sets is a plus 135. Umber to win in straight sets is plus 350. Now, Umber, I said a second ago, 
has been in great form. In fact, he's played some of the best tennis of his career. Now, to go through the first round recap there, Umbert did beat Giron in straight sets, 6-4, 6-3. Zverev had a war. It was roughly three hours against Fuksovics as he lost the first set, 6-4, won the next two sets, 7-5, 6-4. So Zverev wasn't exactly great, but he definitely had to use a lot of energy to get past that with a no day off in between. Now, Umbert did win the first and only meeting between them. It was on grass in 2021. So it means nothing. But I do think Umber, with the home crowd, has an advantage here. And I think plus 175 is a good price. Now, is Verov an easy opponent to beat? No. Does Umber have the game to beat him? Yes. I think that when you're looking at the price, plus 175 is too high. With the home court advantage, I think Zverev should be favored. I think it should be closer to minus 150. Minus 205, too steep for me. Give me Umber. I see a war, though. I'm going to link to the over and sets a plus 135. I don't mind Umber in three if you want to get nuts with it, but I do think Umber is alive at this current price, and I do think as a result, I'm going to take him for the value. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual previews of some round of 32 matches. A reminder, we'll start previewing all of the matches when we get into the later rounds, but for now, I went through a couple, and we're going to go from there. But either way, that's going to wrap it up for the previews. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks, but... Before getting to any of that, can have a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Prize Picks. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. League created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can group together LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three pointers made and receptions. Plus, Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even. If one of your players gets injured, which is a very cool feature for football and basketball games, if you have a player in your entry who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. Go to prizepicks.com slash SGPN and use code SGPN for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash SGPN code SGPN. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're also brought to you by the MMA Gambling Podcast Contest. The MMA Gambling Podcast just launched their YouTube channel. And to celebrate, we're giving away an MMA Gambling Podcast hoodie to one lucky winner. So head over to sportsgampodcast.com slash MMA hoodie. Submit your entry today and make sure to subscribe to the MMA Gambling Podcast on YouTube. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger, betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets. The sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the round of 32 in the Paris Masters. Now it's time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go back to the Hercatch and Batista Gut match, and I am going to go with the team total. I'm going to go with Hercatch team total over 12 and a half games at minus 145 on DraftKings. Simply put, I really like the spot because Hercatch, we know, is not very good at returning, and he is a bit of a tiebreak fiend. And I do think you're going to see a tiebreaker, at least one, in this match. We saw one in the last round as he went to three sets against Korda 
and there was a tiebreaker there. But in the head-to-head, each of the last three matches ended up having one breaker, at least one breaker, and a couple 7-5s in there too. So I think what you're looking at is what should be a very fun and competitive match. I'm going to pick her catch to win, but I do think there's a couple ways to get here. Either her catch ends up winning in straight sets with at least one competitive set, and you get there, 7-6-6-3, something like that, that's 13. Or you have a war where it goes three sets and her catch gets there either with a tiebreaker or even with potentially having a competitive set that he loses in, maybe a 6-4, wins another set that's like six or seven games right there, and he gets there in the third. But a couple ways to get there, and I do think as a result there is some value at this current number. So give me her catch, team total over 12.5 games at minus 145 on DraftKings as my lock. For my dog, give me the home Underdog here, the last Frenchman left to give me Umber money line at plus 175. Simply put, Zverev might be exhausted after the three-set war against Fuksovics, and we know Zverev, despite being a very solid player, is very vulnerable to getting upset, and it happens all the time. And I do think that Umber will have the crowd support, being the only Frenchman left. We saw how comfortable he beat Giron. So there is a bit of a stamina advantage because he had a very easy win, while Zverev had a very tough win with no days off in between. And Umber did win the only meeting. It was on grass, but that does tell me that Umber is not going to be intimidated in the spot. But give me the home underdog here at a very good price against a potentially tired opponent. This price is way off to me. I'll go with the value. Give me Umber on the money line at plus 175. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be on her catch team total over 12 and a half games at minus 145 on DraftKings. And my dog will be on Umber money line at plus 175. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Find me again on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on a bunch of podcasts at the network, the NBA show, MLB show, the WNBA show, NFL show. Get the point. A reminder, we'll be back once again for the round of 16 in this event. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.